Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Welcome to NASCAR America, presented by Mobile One. And it was quite the celebration for the driver of the Mobile One car this weekend. First, Kevin Harvick took the chequered flag in the k West race in Sonoma, and then he followed it up with a trip to Victory Lane on Sunday. Hi, folks. Time to kick off a new week of NASCAR America. Lee Diffie and Dale Jarrett here in the Stanford, Connecticut headquarters. And in NBC Charlotte is Jeff Burton and Mad Max Pappas. Gents, the 16th race of the season has just been run in Sonoma, California. First road course race of the year, as we know. And DJ, this one never disappoints. What was the headline of the weekend for you? Well, I think uh, certainly Kevin Harvick going to victory lane. They, they went there with a strategy, and I think they stuck with that. Uh, Rodney Childress said, this is how we're going to do this. He knew that Kevin Harvick was a good road race exactly what they were going to do, and they stuck to that plan. The thing that strikes me today are the four different accents that we have on this show from everybody <laughs> that we have involved. <laughs> DJ, we'll represent the North Carolina district, I guess. Uh, but, you know, I, I think, too, I think the effort that Kevin Harvick put into this race, you know, you think about Kevin Harvick being a really, really good road racer, Max, but he still went out and ran the K&N race to, f to f find a way to get better, and that's an example of how, uh, no matter how good you are, there's a way to get better, but in winning that race... The pressure got applied to even more people. Now there's only six spots open for this playoff. So uh, as this year continues, we see more winners. We see it more difficult to get into these playoffs. Yeah, what I took out of this race was that uh, track time, it's everything. So even if you have a guide like Kevin that, uh, you know, multiple champion, takes his time to go and run the K&N race to prepare himself, and the preparation and strategy were the key for the success. So I... Pretty impressive, and uh, obviously, I'm from the South. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we all know, 110 One laps around the South of Italy, that was. Yeah, around the undulating Sonoma Raceway is never easy, and it wasn't on Sunday either. Let's hit the rewind button and take a look at Sonoma. 29th year in succession for cup racing at this beautiful Northern California circuit. And what a day it was as things kicked off in stage one. DJ, this was quite a bizarre spin for Dale Earnhardt Jr. early on. Yeah, one of those passing opportunities down into turn 11, but it got a lot of rear brake in these cars to help them turn in the center of the corner. Jr. gets in here a little hard, gets on the brakes too hard. Kind of makes a shortcut out of it, but unfortunately got a little damage from it. A little damage from the contact with Danica Patrick. Now, Jeff, as we scoot ahead further into stage one, we shouldn't be surprised based on his form this year. Martin Truex Jr. in the 78 car were very strong. No, we shouldn't be surprised at all. You know, the number of stage wins he has is incredible, uh, building up huge points as he moves into the playoffs. And no matter what racetrack you go to, they're showing the speed. Even on a road course, they came and they showed everybody that they are the team to beat week in and week out. The car that he just got past was the 47 of A.J. Armendinger, who also looked like the car to beat in Stage 1, but wasn't to be. Martin got that stage win, the 11th of this season. So we scoot ahead to Stage 2. Max, this didn't look good for Danica Patrick or Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Uh, didn't look good at all, you know. Usually 
know, they find each other at dinner, but they found each other on the racetrack here. So, like a three wide, not very good spot for being there. Yeah, Larson was on the inside of Earnhardt Jr. and then Danica was on the outside. So two damaged race cars was the outcome of that. Speaking again of the 47 of AJ Armendinger, DJ, he was strong, but this was the move that undid his day. Yeah, down in turn 11, once again, again, a high braking area, a lot of speed carried there, and it looked like things just slowed up in front of AJ as he tried to avoid that. He was out in no man's land, got a lot of damage from that. Want to see a brilliant restart, Jeff? Here it is with the 48 of Jimmy Johnson. Yeah, no surprises that Jimmy Johnson, you know, he's won a few championships, Lee, just a few. Uh, <laughs> he knows how to restart. He knows how to road race. A few years ago, uh, it really clicked for Jimmy. He put a lot of effort into being a better road racer, has found a way to get speed. Uh, no surprise that he was under and out front on this day. So Jimmy was able to scoot away for a very easy look. There's no one around. That was a very comfortable stage victory. The first, incidentally, for him this season. Max... Big disappointment for the 78 of Martin Truex Jr. after as strong as he'd run all day. Engine problems put paid to his race. Very unusual for Toyota. And uh, what I got out of that, he'd run a lot of fast laps on seven cylinders. So at times, uh, less power is faster in Sonoma. Okay, who was the man of the day? Who was the driver of the day? The four of Kevin Harvick. He comes up here, DJ, to put a move on Brad Keselowski. Not really contested. No, not a fair fight here. Kevin Harvick had fresher tires and probably the better car at this point in time. And we know that Kevin Harvick has been very good on the road courses. So I think they stuck with their plan and, and everything that they wanted to do got themselves in the right spot. And Kevin took care of the rest from here. Now, as Kevin was on his way to the checkered flag, Casey Kane was rounding up Kevin O'Connell. And Jeff, this was nasty. Yeah, it was a big hit. No safer barrier. You can see the, the wall did move, absorb some energy, but in that wall moving, it also created a place for the car to slow down at probably a quicker weight rate than you wanted. Something the racetrack will look at and improve. Open racetrack, no pressure from behind, although Keselowski was coming on strong. Kevin Harvick, the man from Southern California, finally wins in cup competition in Northern California. And this one was big. It really resonated. This meant a lot because it was one of four circuits that he'd never won on. So now, only three remain. And yes, the customary and traditional drink of the Northern California wine. So, Kevin Harvick becomes the season's 11th different race winner and virtually guarantees himself a spot in the playoffs. Clint Boyer came home second to complete the 1-2 finish for Stuart Haas Racing. Dale Earnhardt Jr. recovered from that early spin we showed you and he finished sixth, which was a great comeback. He has the best average finish over the last four Sonoma races. Jimmy Johnson finished 13th, captured his first stage win of the season, as we mentioned. Things did not go well, though, for both Kyle Larson and Martin Truex Jr. Larson, the points leader, finished 26th. Truex did win the series high 11th stage of the year, but his mood was later subdued by that engine failure. In the end, the day belonged to Stuart Haas Racing. Let's face it, short runs have never been my strong suit here. The long runs are, and thank God we got a long run there. Hell, I was out of tires. By the time I got done tearing the hell out of my car, I, I was out of tires. Um, those stages, you know, I mean, obviously it's the first crack at it. That's what lends to tore up race cars. You just, you know, it's such a short stage. There's some, some technical, uh, um, you know, strategy that you got to try to play and get track position, and then now all of a sudden you're, you're on um, – you know the bad side of tires trying to hold guys off and you block and they're they're stacked up behind them and it's just a it's a recipe for disaster and let's face it yeah we got to win we, we need to win in a big way and today would have been a great win but after everything that happened i mean to to get you know second place is i guess uh 
really good. As a matter of fact, you know, for for me, it's been uh, a lot of a lot of close calls, and I think today, with the car that we had all weekend, I felt like our car was was fast enough to, you know, to try to put ourselves in position towards the end of the end of the race to uh, to have a chance to win. I can say this now, but you know, I I had. I had mixed emotions about how the year was going to go just because of the fact that we had a lot on our plate uh, to, to switch over. And I think as we started the year, we had good performance. And, and you know, we, we went through a little bit of a spell where it wasn't as good as the you know, first three or four weeks. And, and then, you know, the last month and a half has been really good. I felt like every race, well, not every race, but I felt like um, three or four races where we had the best cars, we wrecked out and, um, you know, had the speeding penalty at Atlanta after leading 300 some laps. So it's been uh, it's been a good year. We just hadn't been to victory lane and, and today it all went our way. And hopefully we've gotten all that bad luck out of the way and, and we can, you know, enjoy days like this where it all goes our way and capitalize on, on the fastest car. So, after 16 races, Kyle Larson continues to lead the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series standings. He holds a 13-point advantage over Martin Truex Jr. for the top spot. Kevin Harvick, who we just heard from, is currently third, but Sunday's win all but makes him a lock for the playoffs in September. And how do the playoffs look at the moment? The picture in general, 10 drivers are currently in on their race victories. Logano is the lone exception, though, due to his Richmond win having been incumbent. That leaves six open spots available. Clint Boyer currently holds the final slot, but is only four points ahead of Matt Kenseth. So, Jeff, this is like pick a box. What was better for Harvick? The fact that he's now a Sonoma winner, he got his first win after 20 races of no victories, and or he's basically now in the playoffs. What do you think? Right, can I just pick all of the above? Sure. All of the sure. Above? That's always an option. Hey, listen, I, I, I think, Kevin, I think they all had a little bit of anxiety coming into this year. You heard Kevin uh, sort of admit it right there. Uh, a lot of changeover. You, know, you talk a lot about switching from, Ford to, from, from Chevrolet to Ford. That in and of itself is a big deal, but you got to also remember they now weren't getting technical support from Hendrick. There was a major change that had to take place for them to do the things that they do. Simulation, uh, data acquisition, all these things that they were doing through Hendrick, now they're off doing it on their own or mm -hmm. through Ford, and that is a major change. The change to the manufacturer, I don't think it's that big of a deal in the sense that you know you're getting Yates engines, that's not a bad thing. Uh, you know that, that the, the Ford aerodynamics are good. It's all the data and all the information that they were doing one way, and now they got to do it another. That created a lot of anxiety. I was surprised they took off running as well as they did. I uh, wasn't surprised they'd had some problems, uh, but to see Kevin Harvick win, I, I don't, I, I, I'm not surprised at all about that. I'm a little surprised it took a, this long. They have run well, but uh, the weight off his shoulders now, Max, you know, going to Daytona, uh, they know they're in the playoffs. Uh, I think that means a great deal, and you'll see this team relax a little bit, I think, and you'll see them perform at even a higher level. What I really enjoyed to see was the fact that uh, all the hard work uh, that Kevin Harvick and his team has been putting in actually paid off, in maybe in the most unexpected moment. Obviously, you know, we all know he's a great road racer, you know, but you know, I'm sure he surprised himself this week. And uh, the thing that was pretty cool as well was uh, to see that uh, the ethic that uh, you know, the four-car team has been putting into that organization has been trickled down. And the results of Clint Boyer is, he shows that. You know, it, Clint obviously has a really good success in Sonoma. But to finish off and be right there behind Harvick, I'm sure is a you know, great uh, boost uh, of confidence for the guy. So. And DJ, uh, Max brings up Clint Boyer there. Considering the way his car looked 
especially <laughs> towards the end of the race with the amount of damage on the front of it. There was also a call late in the Sonoma race where they, there may have been some uncertainty about his fuel coming to the finish. How big a deal is that for that man on screen there to grab second spot? Yeah, you can't say it's as big as Harvick's win, but it's right there close because you alluded to it. I mean, this race car, uh, he had used it a lot and, and used <laughs> most of it up. And then you have so many different things going on through that. And as much as Jeff just pointed out about the organization going through a huge change, Clint Boyer's a even more so than that because he's just joining the, the organization and the operation there. So he's been a positive for this so far. Mm -hmm. I think that he shows us that he is there and this team is capable of winning a race and getting another spot secured in the playoffs. Could come as early as this weekend uh, at Daytona uh, as we take over covering this series because he is excellent on these restrictor plate racetracks. But I think that this was something that Clint Boyer really needed. He'd, he'd made a charge and then they had a few bad weeks and now they're starting to put things back together. Yeah, listen, I, I agree, DJ. Clint Boyer is a really good road racer, and, and he's also a really good plate racer. So back-to-back, -back, uh, you're going to two racetracks that he can excel on. And uh, early in the race, I thought, you know, poor Clint, he's going to have a bad day. But just to keep digging, never give up, uh, and he brought that car home in second. That car was torn up. So, uh, but, but you heard him say he has to win. They, when you look at the points, I mean, he's only four points to the good going to Daytona. You got another. You got a lot of things coming up. You got Watkins Glen coming up. A lot of tough races. So he knows that they cannot count on those points. You have to assume you're going to have more winner, more winners, and that would move you further down and get into the playoffs. The playoff pressure has started now, Max. It is here, and you're going to Daytona, a place where anybody can win, a place where anybody has a shot. Clint Boyer can make it happen this week. He is a really good plate racer, and I feel that he, even though he had a good race, this gives him momentum, but I feel like he feels like he has to win. I know that he feels he has to win, but I think it's more for his own uh, motivation because uh, looking at how strong he got in the last uh, three, four events, I really think that he's... Uh, Pretty, you know, it's going to be more solid than what he actually thinks. But obviously, you know, good momentum, good motivation always make you better. And uh, I think this race was, uh, you know, something that you will see reverberating in the next uh, two or three. Max, keep the ball if you would. Let's keep the spotlight on the 14 car and Clint Boyer because when we showed the playoff picture a little earlier, Clint is in that 16th and final spot, four points ahead of Kenseth. How, how important is it, or what, what's your opinion on the 14 and Clint bringing that car home now? Now that he's part of Stuart Haas Racing, he's bringing that car home week in, week out with good, consistent finishes. I mean, look at what he's been doing. You know, he, he comes off uh, of uh, one really, really negative year. You know, he had to fight really hard. You know, he was, uh, I'm sure, in the back of his mind, you know, some doubt of like, uh, can I still win? Can I still be successful? Is uh, paired up uh, with a super great champion like Kevin Harvick, so a lot of pressure on that side. And uh, knowing Clint, uh, you know, for sure some good results and good, mo you know, good motivation will make him better. He's an amazing driver. And, and Max, I, I know you replaced Tony Stewart, but this car, the last two or three years, has not run this well. I mean, the, you know, I know uh, Tony won this race last year, but this car has not performed at this level over the last several years. So. Clint's done a really good job of stepping in and elevating that team. And, and the team needed to get elevated. They, there were a lot of races last year where they'd get lapped. I mean, they weren't even close to being competitive. So Clint's done a really good job of taking that team and bringing his, his talent, bringing his ability, bringing his energy to that team. And, now, and you're seeing the results for it. Absolutely.
Yeah, and this is only going to get better as we move forward. So if they can continue to perform, keep themselves there in the point side of it and not feel like that the pressure is mounting even more, Clint Boyer is capable of winning a race and securing that spot, but he's also very capable of understanding the situation, getting the most out of it, and they're only going to get better as this continues to move forward. It's just going to enhance the team spirit, yeah. team morale, team performance, the whole lot. Still ahead, last year's Sonoma winner, Tony Stewart, had some interesting things to say about the outcome of Sunday's race. Kyle Busch and the number 18 team might be yet with a, another crew chief. Believe it or not, we'll have more on that situation. And Dale Jr. had quite the bounce back in Sonoma. Can he continue that trend heading into Daytona? NASCAR America continues. Stick around. Some exciting news starting next week. NASCAR America is moving to our new time of 5 p.m. Eastern. And every Wednesday, we will be live from the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Each show will have all of our drivers, along with a current Cup or Xfinity driver, showcasing their journey to NASCAR. As we head to Daytona this weekend, Kyle Busch might be without interim crew chief Ben Bayshore could possibly face a one-race suspension after two lug nuts were found not secured on Bush's car after Sonoma. Crew chief Adam Stevens still has one race left on his suspension when a tyre rolled off Bush's car at Dover. NASCAR will announce penalties later this week. Now, Kyle took to Twitter after the race, not happy, wondering if his wife Samantha will be called to the box for Daytona this weekend. Stupid rules, he says. Still winless this year in competition. It seems like the year of frustration for Kyle Busch. DJ, I know it's some something like, you know, crystal balling, looking into yep. a crystal ball. Will, will this team be penalised this week? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. That's what the rule book states, and, and NASCAR has to go by that if indeed those two uh, lug nuts weren't secure. So uh, I don't know about his wife, Samantha, but I was wondering if my brother-in-law, Jimmy Makar, may be called back into duty, <laughs> who was the original crew chief at Joe Gibbs Racing uh, uh, when the team was started. So they have a lot of people there that they can pull from, but it's certainly something that they're really not needing at this point in time. You know, they've had fast race cars. Kyle Busch does a good job as the driver. They're not making mistakes they're just finding themselves in difficult positions and this certainly is another one of those going to a racetrack that Kyle Busch can win at mm -hmm. but who you have on that box means a lot as far as performing all through a race so Max we head to Daytona and as a racer tell us about the racer that Kyle Busch is we we know we know how good he is but we keep in the back of our minds he hasn't won yet this year and you've got this revolving door of crew chiefs how does that affect the racer that he is or how does he handle it being the racer he is. I mean, I had the opportunity to work with uh, Kyle at JGR, and uh, I have never seen uh, such a technical and dedicated person. He's a very, very hardworking guy. But for sure, you know, having uh, different people up there on the box uh, is killing the momentum and uh, right there before you need the momentum to be the strongest that is uh, right before the playoff so I I feel that you know this this situation will affect in the future obviously rules of rules and uh, that's how it has to be but uh, you know it's for sure something that will have uh, you know effect later on in the season yeah, I, the frustration level is mounting. Obviously, you know, you, you, Kyle Busch is expecting to win races. Uh, they go to every single race, and Kyle Busch believes he can, and he can win at any racetrack. Uh, I think if you're going to lose your crew chief, this is probably the race you want to lose it for. I, I think that going to Daytona, you pretty much have a plan going there. 
Uh, it's it, the pitch strategy will be really interesting with the stages, but I think that you know if I was going to a racetrack, the the this would be the race that I would that I would feel the most comfortable without my crew chief. So I think they can overcome it, and I believe Kyle is in the, in the position where you're going to see an exceptionally aggressive Kyle Busch this weekend. I think you're going to see him uh, trying to lead as many laps as he can, running in the front every chance he gets. Uh, I think this week will be uh, Kyle Busch and all his fury and all his frustrations. He's going to be letting out. And this is the racetrack that we've seen. Anybody can win a race. But but Kyle Busch, an aggressive, frustrated Kyle Busch, he could be hard to guard this weekend. But you tell me. I don't really, I'm not really sure if Daytona is the place where you want to be as aggressive and as hard uh, on every lap, correct? It's fun to watch. <laughs> hey Jeff, let's keep it on the Joe Gibbs racing topic and let's shift over from Kyle Busch to Denny Hamlin. On Sunday he finished fourth, so he, it was looking good to be third in fact, but Keselowski was so good on fresh tyres late in the race. So pocket that fourth, add it to his win at the Glen last year and then he finished second when Tony beat him, when Tony Stewart beat him last year. Denny's proving to be quite the force on road racing, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he really is. And, and, you know, we've seen all these cup drivers making huge steps throughout the years. I know uh, there was a time where, you know, we had road course ringers come in and they'd have a chance to win. But in today's world, uh, beating these cup guys and their cars are very, very difficult. They all get better. They, they each raise the bar for each other. As one guy gets better, then the next guy's got to get better. They're all putting a lot of effort into it. We saw Harvick, we've talked about it, run the K&N race. We've seen them all put tremendous effort into becoming better road racers. And perhaps for, for Denny, uh, more importantly, we're seeing them start to perform better. Over the last month, we've seen Joe Gibbs Racing start to perform better, uh, putting not, not necessarily winning races, but putting themselves in position to win races. And to win them, you first have to be in position. So uh, I think for Denny and his team, uh, seeing that speed on a weekly basis is even more important than, than going to Sonoma and running well. You know, how I see about road racing is that in the past, uh, you know, those two events, if you stayed on the black and you got some point, it was good. Nowadays, uh, you know, there are two missed opportunities. If you don't show up prepared, you have two missed opportunities to go in the playoffs. So they are, uh, I really love how this uh, playoff things is, uh, you know, uh, structuring at the moment. And uh, it really shows that uh, uh, every race count, you know, every stage count, every point count. Uh, and uh, that's what it's all about in racing. You know, you don't want to really see people, you know, saying, I don't like the track, you know, I'm going to just... You know, be easy right. on it. <laughs> Here's my theory as to why maybe Denny Hamlin is uh, as good a road racer as he is now. Because of the way he drove short tracks and has made him such a good racer is that he's not a hard charger to the corner, but he's really good getting off the corners. And that's what you have to be. Max will tell you, that's what you do your best work at, at doing that. Short track drivers, yeah, everybody comes from that, but they go about it differently. But what made Denny so great was this, and I think he's adapted to that. Sometimes you come in and you change what you know, and that's not as good, and I think Denny's figured that out. And when we go to Watkins Glen, it might be the place that he tries to get that first victory of the year. Bodes well for the Glen, I think, doesn't yep. it, based on, based on history. Up next on the show, after a pair of collisions at Sonoma Dale Jr., still managed a sixth-place finish. We'll take a look, a closer look at exactly what happened and what's next for the 88 team heading to Daytona. NASCAR America is brought to you by new Mobile One Annual Protection. Proven protection for one full year. Be there as another chapter in the Earnhardt legacy comes to a close. Dale Jr. takes to the track at historic Daytona International Speedway one last time, Saturday at 7 Eastern, only on NBC.
And as Dale Jr. makes his trip to Daytona, this Thursday we're having a very special NASCAR throwback, reliving the 2004 Daytona 500, which was won, of course, by Jr. Join the fun as the drivers from that race and current drivers will be live tweeting throughout the entire show. It all takes place this Thursday at 7 Eastern. Our Dale Jarrett, the Hall of Famer, was in that race. And, DJ, I love asking you uh, to reflect on certain races. This one here, you came home 10th in that one. And when you think about that 2004-500, what comes to mind for you, not only, but going to Daytona this week for NBC's kickoff on NASCAR this year? What are your thoughts on Junior from that year? Well, I think the first thing was is that as we were no match for him, there weren't many cars out there that were a match for him. And I think that it gave everybody the insight that, you know, we all knew that he was a good plate racer, and now to get a Daytona 500 win, you know how special that is. You know, and when you kind of have someone like that join the club of, of winning the Daytona 500, you're excited for them. And, uh, again, that car was so good, but he did a tremendous job. And, and getting to victory lane, and you know you know how long it took his dad to get that, yeah. you, know, you were excited that he got this opportunity much earlier in his career. Well, that was happy memories for Dale Jr. And he had quite the weekend at Sonoma as well. On Friday, he received a special gift from Sonoma Raceway. Three service puppies named Dale, the second one, Junior, and the third one, Amy. The track tweeted that the puppies will grow up and help kids for a very long time. And earlier today, Junior took to Periscope to recap his adventures on the track in Sonoma. Pretty good finish for us. Obviously, uh, it didn't start out too good. Boy, I was getting a little worried there. <laughs> um, coming into turn 11 into that braking zone, I guess it was a little slick down there trying to outbreak Danica into turn 11. It just locked up the rear tires. It didn't wheel hop or anything. Usually it kind of wheel hops into the corner when you do that, but it just locked the rears up like it was on ice. And I thought our day was over with because we were going to spin backwards back up into the rest of the field and if it didn't hit anybody going by we was going to hit the tires on the other side of the wall but somehow it got slowed down oh man it's hard to be patient you know uh, it uh it's hard to be patient it's a long race and 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 one little battle or spot to gain early in the race sometimes might not make a big difference late in the race but you don't know that you know and you got to you got to try to take every spot, every single lap, and uh, you just got to try to, you know, pass everybody you can because you don't know what that really means as it adds up toward the end of the race. It might matter, it might not. Mad Max Pappas, I've commentated on plenty of your races where you haven't exactly been patient either. As Dale Jr. said, you've got to be patient. Was he right or wrong to make that move at that stage of the race? I mean, if you're a racer, Offense is the best defense. You know, obviously you go there, you know, there is a little bit of a hump locked up the rear. You know, but I tell you, I'm really impressed to see, you know, the improvement that, uh, that Dale had on road courses. I was there with him a long time ago when he tested and raced our Corvette, actually, when he got burned, if you remember, a while ago. And now, you know, he's, uh, he's up there. You know, he's up there, you know, he's showing. I kind of wish that he would do it, uh, you know, again next year. Because every year as he, go, he goes there, it gets better and better. But... Uh, you know, I think that being offensive is better than uh, being passive in a, ro in, uh, in a road course. And, uh, you know, nothing wrong with that. 
So, so Max, you've, you've run road, you run Sonoma quite a few times, and turn 11 is really, really difficult. You come off turn 10, carrying a tremendous amount of speed, and you're trying to use this as a breaking zone. You can see how quick that 88 came around. What, what happened there? What did he do wrong? What was, uh, what, what do you, in your opinion, what made this car just jump around so quickly? First of all, you know, you run quite a bit of rear brake, you know, just to start. You don't want to have your front brake too hot. And uh, right there, you see that there is a bit of a hump on the road. When the front end went down, the back end came up, and I guess that uh, he was pretty hard and focused on the front on trying to brake as late as he could and maybe just a little bit of too much brake pressure. And, uh, you know, that wall comes up really quick. And when the back end of those cars goes, goes. You know, there is nothing you can really do. It's 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 one of those passing zones too. There's not many passing zones zones in Sonoma, and when you have a run on somebody coming off turn ten, that's like your chance. Like you you see a lot of accidents happen in turn eleven because that is an opportunity. And if you you're already on the edge, and then you push just that little bit more, and once you push that a little bit more, sometimes you doesn't don't know what the car is going to do until it does. I mean, you got to commit. You know, usually passes happen before you actually arrive at the corner. So you know, he thought it was that that was a good opportunity. Commit and uh, once you're in you're basically you know you do everything you need to do to stop the car but uh, at times you know you know think goes wrong actually I think it was really lucky to come out of that uh, with pretty minor damage I, I think the main thing is amazing to me is watch Kyle Larson right here as Junior goes in the corner Kyle Larson almost senses him how did he see him I don't understand how Kyle, Kyle Larson knew he was coming but to me that was incredible uh, I think Kyle kind of overshot the entry see the one car underneath him a little bit I think that ended up actually working well for Kyle Larson if uh, but I thought to me something that really you know never got any play was how he missed that wreck you think about it your vision you're not looking over here as you can see coming in that corner he actually saw <laughs> coming backwards and moved to the left that tells you, you know how cool the guy is when he drives you know I'm sure that uh, to be able to go and see look in the rearview mirror and see what's happening around you you really need to have that uh, calm and coolness in the car that uh, Larson has been showing in the last three or four races so it's pretty amazing and reliving that moment of uh, Dale Jr's there time again time again <laughs> to think that he came out sixth makes yeah. the story even more remarkable I want to ask you the final time you went to Daytona as a full-time cup driver and then now tran transition to Dale Jr. What's he going to be thinking? What's going to be on his mind heading to heading to Florida this week? You know, this is such a special place for a lot of different reasons for Dale Jr. So I think there, he's probably going to go through a range of emotions. He usually likes to go down early and get there and just get the sense of the place again. And certainly knowing this is uh, his last time there as a full-time competitor in the Cup Series, uh, he, he's going there knowing that he's going to be one of the favorites, but he is also going to relive a lot of things in his mind. But come Saturday night, he's going to be ready. He knows that this is his best opportunity uh, in these next 10 races to go out there and try to secure one of those playoff spots. So we're going to see a very focused and intense Dale Jr. once race time rolls around. And I don't care who all else has been good at these places. Denny Hamlin's been great. Matt Kenseth. We could go through the whole list that have been really good here. He's in the race. He's the favorite to, to win this race on Saturday night. They're going to have to outrun him if they're going to go to victory lane. Hey, DJ, don't you believe, though, in watching the first two play races, they've got to find a way to give him a car where he can be aggressive Dale Jr. What makes him so good at Daytona and Talladega is he doesn't hesitate. Yep. He, he's the guy setting the tempo. He's a guy pushing the issue, making moves many times. And I'm like, what are, you, what are you doing? Where are you going? He finds a way to make it happen. And in the last several races, he hasn't had the cars that I feel like he could be Dale Jr. and be aggressive. So for them to be successful and win this race, 
pace. They're going to have to find a way to let him be him. He can't drive with caution. He can't drive worried about, well, is my car going to stick? Is it not going to stick? He's got to just stick it in there and, and know it's going to stick. And he hasn't had that the last several plate races. It would be awesome to see, you know, how he thinks inside of him. Going to Daytona, the place that is uh, basically made his family, and uh, it would be really amazing to to be there and live the weekend with him. Yeah, and they've had fast race cars, to your point, Jeff, but we saw all the way back to 2016 of race cars literally spinning out from under Dale Jr., things that we don't see. So to be as aggressive, uh, that aggressive, you might need to take a little of that speed out, let the man behind the wheel do his job, but have something underneath him to where he can make all of these things happen. We need to talk about Dale Jr.'s Hendrick, uh, Hendrick uh, teammate, Casey Kane, because while Kevin Harvick was coasting to his first win of the year, the biggest crash of the day in Sonoma took place on the final lap. Casey Kane crashed hard into the wall in turn one after making contact with Kevin O'Connell in the 15 car. The impact of the wreck pushed the inside wall back several feet. That area is not only protected, not protected by a safer barrier, and Kane was able to climb out of the car with no significant injuries. You can see the heavy damage to Kane's car. Fortunately, the damage was on the right side of the vehicle. Both Ricky Stenhouse Jr. and Denny Hamlin visited Kane in the garage to check in on him. And following the race, Casey himself took to Twitter to give an update. Big hit. I was passing the 15 to his right down the front stretch. He panicked and turned right instead of left for the corner and destroyed us. The Windows team did a great job of making adjustments and we kept getting better. I'm fine. The back is just a little tight, which is good news. Still ahead, we'll head to Iowa Speedway, where the Xfinity Series and Truck Series were both in action. And did we get a glimpse of NASCAR's future? Tony Stewart sounded off the final laps of Sonoma. Did Smoke agree with NASCAR's decision? And Martin Truex continues to rack up the stage wins, but is he underachieving? We'll discuss all of that next. This summer, the future of Team USA takes their first steps towards the Tokyo 2020 Games. The Team USA Summer Champion Series, presented by Comcast, continues tomorrow at 7 Eastern on NBCSN. And NASCAR's future was on display in Iowa. Jeff, let's start with the Camping World Truck Series race. And with 18 laps to go, Chase Briscoe catches Johnny Sauter. Yeah, Chase did a really good job of moving the line to the outside. Late in the race, Crafton got, got run into, got wrecked. This caused a late race caution. And now we had people with no tires, people with two tires, people with four tires. This last restart was crazy. Sauter sitting out there with no tires, sitting duck. John Hunter Nemechek had four tires, first guy on four tires. He got by the two cars that had the, really the fastest trucks most of the night, but he was able to drive away with fresh tires. Look at that down on the low line, and there was nobody going to catch the eight truck of John Hunter Nemechek, and that makes for back-to-back -back victories in Iowa. Let's switch gears, and Max, let's take a look at the Xfinity Series, and there's William Byron, the 19-year-old who almost won last week in Michigan, but got pipped by Denny Hamlin. We look at this, nine to go, Max, and he starts on the front row alongside Ryan Sieg. I mean, a very difficult restarts, you know, Iowa, very unique track. Uh, 
you can see that he's maximizing uh, his outside potential there. And uh, you can see really taking advantage of every situation, you know, executing and bringing home a win that uh, the previous week uh, was taken away by a great champion. So it's good to see William winning. So finally got that W. And isn't that pleasing to see after that agonizing defeat in Michigan where he thought he may have had it all too late. Look at that joy. A victorious teenager. And Max, this amazing story of the rapid rise of the 19-year-old William Byron continues. Is it fair to say that this kid is fast-tracking to the top? Obviously, I'm a little biased because I'm his uh, performance advisor. I've been working with William for the last three years. And, uh, you know, he's for sure a great talent. I love to work with him. He's even a better person than a driver, or you want to say that. You know, he's just a solid, solid, solid person. And uh, it's good to see that good things happen to good people. You know, Mr. H, uh, you know, you know, really, you know, foreseen what the future will be, and they signed him up. Uh, uh, William is a very hard worker. It's not by chance that he's winning races. Uh, there is a lot of work behind the scene that everyone is putting together, including uh, what we, me and William did. I can just give you an example. This morning, you know, 10 a.m. showed up. Uh, you know, we went riding the bike. We went, uh, you know, we analyzed the event. So, he's, uh, as I said, when you win seven races in a truck series or when you win in Xfinity and you, ride, you maximize your opportunity, it's not by chance. And uh, really proud to see, you know, the, the good things happening. And yeah, this was this morning. We, you know, me and my wife, Tatiana, we prepared a little, you know, you know, first win party for William before we went riding. You know, William obviously has talent, but when you put talent with effort, then you get real results. And, and that's what I've been so impressed about with William is that he puts 100% into it. He's a very calm, soft-spoken guy. When he puts that helmet on, he is no longer calm and soft-spoken. He goes Absolutely. after it and is very aggressive on the racetrack, a very clean racer. And, you know, I know he finished second last week, but he finished second to Denny Hamlin, a guy that consistently we see able to win races at a cup level. There's no shame in that. Absolutely. He showed the world uh, and proved himself that he can race the very best. He got beaten by that much. And, and you know, there's always this debate about cup drivers and Xfinity races and all those things. William Byron being able to race Denny Hamlin at the end showed people that he can do it. And so there's a benefit in cup drivers being in the Xfinity race. It's not all just negatives. And, and having that opportunity to race with one of the best in the business, he learned more in that event than he would have if, if Denny Hamlin hadn't been there, then it will make him a better racer. Yeah, I'm a big believer that having cup guys, uh, both in the truck and Xfinity, validate the young guys. And, uh, you know, obviously, if they're tough to beat, they have to be tough to beat, you know. But yeah, at the end of the day, if you want to be at that level, you will have to compete against them. So, you know, it is what it is, you know. So it's good to see that, uh, you know, your senior guy validating younger, younger Lions. And, Jeff, let's switch to another super young talent, albeit that he's now an ageing 20 years of age, John Hunter Nemechek. Look, not only is he Front Row Joe's son, but this is a wonderful family story, family unit. He not only works on his own vehicles, he's out there trying to source sponsorship dollars as well, and then he goes and drives it to Victory Lane. Well, I've known the Nemechek's for a long time. I've raced with, with, with Joe for 30 years. And, and the one thing I can tell you about these guys, they work hard. They put 100% into their racing. Uh, Joe Nemechek and his family have put a tremendous amount of effort uh, and all the resources that they can bring to bear to help John Hunter. And it's really a family atmosphere. And, but John Hunter does not take that for granted. John Hunter's in there helping. He's in there digging. He's doing the things he can do to be a better race car driver. He works phys physically. He's always working on himself to be better. So this is a, this is, these are good people uh, having good results. And, and uh, John Hunter did not have the best truck on Friday night, 
but the best drug doesn't always win. He took an opportunity and grabbed it and took that win. Great strategy, good call, but ultimately John Hunter had to, had to go and have a great restart, make things happen on the end, and that's what winners do. They find a way at the end of these races to get more than perhaps they got during the, than they had speed. So uh, John Hunter and his team uh, having success, two wins in a row, uh, that's really, really good for that family. Not just John Hunter, but that whole family and a small group of guys working hard to, to try to beat some of these bigger teams. I can tell you, in my book, John Hunter is one of the most underrated young kids, and I really hope that to see one of the top teams signing him up because, uh, you know, it's been a lot of work for uh, for the Nemechek family to bring him all the way to here, and it would be really special to see a kid like him, you know, getting the proper opportunity he deserves. Two inspiring stories, no question about that, and the future, their futures in NASCAR are looking good. Hey, as Kevin Harvick took home the chequered flag on Sunday, was Saturday's preparation the difference maker? And Tony Stewart and Dale Jr. both agreed on a certain decision. But do our team of experts. We'll discuss that next. Some exciting news. Starting next week, NASCAR America is moving to 5 p.m. Eastern every day. And every Wednesday, we'll be live from the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Each show will have all of our drivers, along with a current Cup or Xfinity driver, showcasing their journey to NASCAR. This day in NASCAR takes us back to one year ago when future Hall of Famer Tony Stewart outlasted Denny Hamlin in a thrilling last lap battle at Sonoma Raceway. This was Stewart's 49th Cup win and first since 2013. The victory also ensured Stewart would compete in the playoffs in his final season as a driver. And for the second straight year, a Stuart Haas driver finished the race at Sonoma in victory lane. For Kevin Harvick, it was his second win of the season after taking the chequered flag at the KN West race the day before. Afterwards, he was asked about pulling double duty. I feel good. So it's, um, you know, I was, I was actually a little nervous about that running both races. Not get the uh, spring chicken anymore, so I feel probably better than I than I did only running one race, just because you're you're moving all day on Saturday and practicing all day on Friday. So it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun, and and cars got the nose and both sides and both front fenders beat off of it, and looks just how it should after a Sonoma race. So it was a fun day. In addition to it being Kevin Harvick's first win of the season, DJ, it was also the first time we've seen the new stage racing format on road courses. First of all, how did you think that worked and how did you think it played out? And what did you think of the strategy game the number four team played? Yeah, the stage racing has become one of my favorite things, that, that any changes that have been made over the years uh, to our sport. And I really thought and was curious to see exactly how teams may go because, you know, these road courses, everybody had a strategy normally going in. You wanted to take the race and start at the last lap and work yourself back and get on pit road as, as soon as you possibly could for that last time. Now, how would the stages change that? And we did see it change up. And so much so many times it's hard when you go in with a plan not to let someone else change that or something that happens to you. Rodney Childress didn't let any of that affect his thinking. He knew what he had in his race driver, uh, that Kevin Harvick knew exactly what he wanted with his race car. They were able to give him that, and they stuck with their plan. Didn't let anyone else 
changed the way that they uh, went about their strategy and it ended them up in victory lane. The four-stop strategy for car number four yep. it was the one to do. One of the more interesting topics to come out of Sunday's Cup race in Sonoma was the lack of cautions due to debris. As you know, both Tony Stewart and Dale Earnhardt Jr. have some strong views on this, and here's what Smoke and Jr. had to say post-race. Last week's last week, and here it's uh, it, it's so easy for cars to go off track here, and it happened all day long, and, um, you know, a couple cars even spun out but kept going. So, uh, you know, there was a lot of opportunity that, um, you know, you could have got that uh, debris caution or whatever uh, during the race, but it was nice to see that the race actually got to play out. And it was uh, interesting listening to the some of the Gibbs drivers and the gamesmanship they were playing of, you know, they pitted and came back out and then immediately started screaming debris on the racetrack. So I uh, thought that was real convenient on their part. But, um, you know, it's gamesmanship and, you know, they're smart uh, of knowing how to try to play the game. But I'm glad uh, NASCAR didn't bite on that one today. NASCAR had plenty of reason to throw some yellows late in this race, but I was glad that they settled in and let uh, those sort themselves out to see if we could continue to race. Um, um, it, it, you know, it, it, a, a caution probably would have benefited us to uh, to um, to get an opportunity to get a few more spots late in the race because those guys up front had older tires. But in in the uh, in the name of really what's good for the sport, long term, letting the races play out is the way to go. Let the races happen naturally, finish naturally without any um, any any really involvement from anybody outside. Max, I'd like to start with you on this topic. For those who don't know, you're part of the decision-making group in race control on the Verizon IndyCar series, so you know what it's like from the driver's seat and the hot seat of race control. What are your thoughts on what Dale and Tony offered? First of all, you've got to love, uh, you know, how direct Tony Stewart is. You know, it's just amazing. And... Uh, uh, yeah, you want to see the races unfold, you know, you know, what we look all the time is like, does, did it, does it affect safety? Does it affect competition? You know, NASCAR, they have a lot of experience on what affects safety and competition. And it was really good to see that, uh, you know, yeah, there were debris, there were stuff on the track, and uh, but they were not really, you know, something that affected the, the race itself. So I felt that uh, uh, was a really good task, and I love the, the stages. You know, this has been one of the most uh, fun and uh, intense race that I've seen at Sonoma. So a lot of positive out of Sonoma, a lot of positive. Yeah, listen, I think when you go to Sonoma, you start talking about debris cautions. You know, NASCAR has a history of letting things develop at Sonoma because the cars get so spread out, and there's plenty of time uh, for them to evaluate. So I think that Sonoma's a place, and Watkins Glen for that matter, where they tend to let things happen uh, because you can run off course. Like right here, the 20 car uh, never hits anything. But in Michigan, uh, this, you know, it's a whole different ball game. So uh, this is a racetrack where NASCAR can have a little more liberty uh, and, and not throwing that caution, let it play out a little bit, see what's going to happen. Uh, cars are spread out more. So we tend to see less debris cautions uh, at, at the road courses than we do other races. Yeah, this is such an interesting discussion. And Jeff just pointed out that you can officiate that race on a road course much differently than you can an oval. And I have no problem with what Tony and Dale Jr. have said the last few weeks about that. We all want to see the races play out the way that they will. But most of the time, and we like to think all the time, that NASCAR makes these decisions because of, in the name of safety. And so if and when it should happen, and they hope that it doesn't, but that NASCAR is trying to make a decision on a debris time and one of Tony's cars 
runs over something, I hope he's as understanding then <laughs> about what took place at that point in time. But I don't, I'm not sure that NASCAR understood that they were getting the Mark Cuban owner of the Dallas Mavericks <laughs> and an owner as in Tony Stewart now, kind of his voice. And But he got it. I understand everything that he's saying, and I'm glad that he's able to speak his mind. And uh, I think that it's very refreshing. And, and Dale Jr. also. So interesting conversation. DJ and I were talking about this before we came on air a little earlier, and the Hall of Famer says, you could throw a caution all the time on NASCAR road course racing, yeah, right? Every but lap. when you look at the chaos that ensued late in the race, and what I mean by that in, in all due respect was cars were going everywhere off track. You know, you saw the Billy Johnson, Matt Kenseth example just mm -hmm. a moment ago. But NASCAR just let it keep rolling. Is, yep. that, is that the way to go? That's the way they go, and I think drivers expect that to happen, especially on the road courses. Uh, there again, as Jeff was pointing out, so many things are going on there, and you can't keep the road course clean all the time. There's going to be contact at all different parts, so the way that NASCAR handled this, I think, was perfect. Uh, you know, They see if a car is able to get up and going. It's not putting anyone in a bad situation there. Unfortunately, you might have made a mistake, or you're at the other end of somebody else's mistake, and it didn't work out for you, but I like the way they officiated this at the end. Yeah, I, I think NASCAR is kind of, you know, in trouble. You know, they get in trouble either way. They don't throw that caution and somebody gets into it and then, well, why didn't you throw the caution? And then you, they take the extra call, you know, extra careful way and throw the caution and then they get blamed for, for, for making the race, you know, exciting at the end. So in some ways, NASCAR can't win. I, I, I think it's what's so difficult for NASCAR at the end of the day is, you know, Kyle Busch, we heard Kyle Busch say that this rule is stupid, that if you have two lug nuts off, then that's going to be a, a suspension for a crew chief. Remember who the one that was, the ones that were screaming about the safety as far as lug nuts were the drivers. The drivers are saying we can't have these rules. It's Wheels are going to come off. Tires are going to come off. People are going to get hurt. So the NASCAR responds and creates a rule, and then you complain about that rule. So it, it's it's difficult for the drivers. It's difficult for NASCAR. Uh, the bottom line is that, that in my world, uh, NASCAR has an obligation to, to throw a caution if they feel there is any threat whatsoever in danger, and then throwing a caution helps that. And sometimes maybe they get you know trigger happy on that. Uh, I think the road course makes it a little easier for them not to. But it is a is DJ pointed out if you're gonna say okay no you know hold that caution back then you have to be willing to say well if something happens then I'm gonna have to live with it. I mean Jeff you gotta see this you know they're completely two different way of officiating you know when you're driving in Michigan or in an oval super fast uh, absolutely you cannot take any risk at all you know there is a debris any size of it you know it mean you know it could mean uh, tremendous uh, consequences. Road courses is different, you know, like completely different way of approaching the thing. And obviously NASCAR, we, we are trying to, we see a lot of oval races. We don't see as many road course races. So even for everyone, it's a little difficult to kind of understand the fact that uh, you got to really look at, this, at, the, at the road course like almost a different game. And uh, safety first. And uh, I, there is nobody better than the guys at NASCAR to really understand when it's the time to, you know, to actually, you know, when, Safety is matter, and uh, I think it was fine. You know, I, I really liked it. Even the, even the short tracks. We've seen on the short tracks, NASCAR, we'll see a car spin at Martinsville, and they won't throw the caution. But if you see that same spin at Michigan, they're going to throw that caution. So I think you're exactly right. I think you have to officiate it uh, based on the racetrack and, and, the, and the, the speed that the cars are going and what is uh, the consequence for not throwing the caution. It's, it's you know, 
I, I don't ever want to be an official because those, those, those decisions would be difficult. But I can tell you this, after spending a couple of years uh, uh, with IndyCar in, in the control tower, I can tell you that uh, it's a lot more complicated than what we have seen as a race car driver. You know, things happen really quick, you're looking at monitors, you get information. So, like, what I learned has been uh, to cut some slack, you know, maybe don't criticize people too much because it's tough. You know, it, it's tough. You know, it's, it's, it's a really tough job. It's a thankless job being an official, but Max, we say thank you. Coming up, we'll get you up to speed on the open wheel world. It was a wild weekend in Azerbaijan for F1, and the IndyCar Series was in Wisconsin, where a multi-time champ proved why he's a serial winner. Scott Dixon came into Road America Sunday afternoon at Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin with the championship lead, but still looking for his first win of the season. He took the lead in the race on a restart on lap 31. Getting around the outside of Joseph Newgard, Team Penske had dominated in practice and qualifying all weekend. And then later, Dixon's teammate Tony Kanaan with his major crash, he was okay, battling with Alexander Rossi. One more restart with seven to go. No one could challenge Scott Dixon, who won for the first time in 2017 and the 41st time in his IndyCar career. Sunday in Baku, Azerbaijan, one of the wildest Formula One Grand Prix we've seen in some time, almost at the midway point of the race. Daniel Ricciardo surged to third, but the talking point of this Grand Prix, under caution, Sebastian Vettel alleged that Lewis Hamilton, the race leader, slowed. He was so infuriated, he collided with the Mercedes driver. And Lewis Hamilton had his own problems. A head surround came loose. Officials told him to go in and get that fixed. Meanwhile, stewards handed Vettel a dangerous driving penalty of 10 seconds in the pits that eventually brought them back out on track together and they would fight over the minor placings. Up front, though, it was Red Bull Racing's Daniel Ricciardo driving to victory for the fifth time in his career, Red Bull's first win of the year. And as we welcome you back to the show, Max, I can't help but smile and laugh some 24 hours after that Grand Prix because... Not me, not you, not any F1 fan in the world could have predicted that F1 podium. But that aside, what do, you, what do you make of the incident between the top two in the championship, Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton, the incident with the alleged brake check, and then Vettel's behaviour afterwards, which he still won't admit to doing deliberately, of hitting Lewis Hamilton, the then race leader? Now, my take is pretty simple. You know, I mean, accident on track can happen, you know, and that's part of the sport. Uh, when you do something, you need to own it. My disappointment was uh, to see a four-time world champion just not admitting that he basically put a wheel on uh, on Hamilton, you know, and that that's not fun, you know. And uh, I hope that the kids that are watching they don't take example out of that. You know, everyone can make a mistake. I'm not crucifying crucifying the guy, you know. But at the same time, uh, you know, real champions sometimes are people that uh, put their hands up and they say, "Yep, I did it on purpose, and I was wrong." So we've just been talking about officiating in NASCAR and, and, and debris cautions. As an IndyCar race official, I want to ask you something there about what the F1 stewards, their decision about giving Vettel a 10-second penalty. Now, for Lewis Hamilton to come in and fix that, that head surround, that basically gave him the same kind of a penalty. And then, as you saw from that video, when, when they came out of pit lane, Vettel got out ahead of Hamilton. Hamilton was screaming on the radio, how can this guy get penalised for doing that to me and then still be ahead of me and ultimately finish ahead of me? Do you think the penalty should have been stronger for Vettel? 
obviously, you know, this is a typical example of what I learned being a steward. Uh, you know, you give a penalty for what you see at that moment. If then, you know, other certain things happen, like uh, nobody could have predicted that Hamilton would have had an, a headrest problem. So the rest, uh, you know, you cannot double jeopardy. You know, you cannot, uh, you know, give a double penalty to a guy. The penalty, I felt that was uh, pretty severe. Maybe, you know, we have a way to do that. You know, we calculate, uh, you know, depending on the length of the track, uh, if you need to give a stop and go, 5 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, because obviously being on a street course uh, or in Monza, it's a big difference. Uh, I guess that, uh, you know, maybe 10 seconds, I felt it was pretty fair, you know, maybe a little bit longer, but you can't really stay still in the garage in a Formula 1 for 20 seconds without an, anything exploding. So. I think that you got to take that in consideration. You know, I understand uh, Hamilton, but I understand the fact as well that uh, you make a decision for what you see, and then whatever happened after that is not something you can control. Just quickly, let's switch to the Verizon IndyCar Series. Scott Dixon winning his 41st career win. I mean, this guy is yeah. up there with the top echelon in the history of IndyCar. He wins one more. He ties Michael Andretti for third all-time. Wow. That means only Mario Andretti and AJ Foyt are ahead of Scott Dixon. When I tell people about that, they say, really? But the thing is, this four-time champion, he's not a big self-promoter. He'd rather stay under the radar. I want you to tell our viewing audience just how good Scott Dixon is. I mean, I was there in, uh, in Laguna Seca during his first test, I think, in 99, and you could see that the guy was something special. In my book, you know, someone like Scott Dixon is one of the best, uh, you know, IndyCar driver ever. You know, obviously, you know, he's quite demeanor and everything. Uh, you know, he's, I, I kind of look at uh, Scott a little bit like Matt Kenseth. You know, Matt Kenseth is a great champion like Scott, you know, but definitely not, not self-promoting themselves, letting the results talk. And uh, to do what he did in Elkhart Lake, you know, the restart, passing the guy, you know, in a, such a dominant fashion, it shows, uh, you know, that uh, he has plenty of talent and uh, would be nice uh, to see him uh, gratified uh, for being one of the best because uh, in my book, uh, he is for sure, you know, up there. And he's en route to a fifth championship. It was a great weekend of racing, whether it was IndyCar, Formula One or NASCAR. Up next on the show, Martin Truex said something on his radio that drew the attention of Rodney Childers. We will take a listen to exactly what, and despite racking up playoff points, find out why one of our analysts thinks Truex is underachieving. That's next. NASCAR America is brought to you by new Mobile One Annual Protection. Proven protection for one full year. Be there as another chapter in the Earnhardt legacy comes to a close. Dale Jr. takes to the track at historic Daytona International Speedway one last time. Saturday at 7 Eastern only on NBC. Daytona is on the horizon, but yesterday in Sonoma, Martin Truex had an interesting reaction that Kevin Harvick's crew chief, Rodney Childers, didn't think too highly of. That stupid son is going to try to do something to our fingers. I don't know that's still there. I come back inside, clear. All clear. Clear by one, clear by two. Make it all kiss my ass. There you go, off. Near leader, 78, come on, with 43 laps to go. Seeing Truex running strong all day and then having some problems towards the end of that race, how much do you think that benefited your team towards the end of there? <clears throat> well, you talking about before or after he said, tell Harvard to kiss my ass. 
<laughs> so after he said that, I don't think he was going to win anyway. So, uh, but we we didn't have a very good car that run before. We made some adjustments, and the car was a lot better the last run. Now, Martin Truex's girlfriend, Sherry Pollux, responded on Twitter, he didn't say that. He was talking about the field and he was joking. He never mentioned Kevin Harvick's name once on the radio today. Exactly. Rodney knows Martin really well. I would think he would know better. They are friends. We love Rodney. So, Dale Jarrett, what do you think about all of this he said, she said stuff? Just uh, part of the world today, you know, and that's the way things get started. If you don't hear that, you're hearing it from somebody else, you don't really know. You know, a lot of times it's taken out of context, but hey, maybe we started a new rivalry. Who knows? That can't be bad for everything. <laughs> yeah. When you're competing against someone and they say, anything, you take that as a shot at you because you're competing against them. Uh, he obviously made a comment about everybody. He said they, but when you're the when you're the guy that just got past, the they is you in your mind. So uh, it, it's competition. It's competition brings out the best in people. It also brings out the worst in people. Uh, you know, it, it is so difficult to win these races. And when somebody passes you and you feel like you're rubbing it in, it makes you mad. I remember years ago when uh, Tony Stewart made a comment at Indy, you know, he was reeling Har Harvick in and he said something you know, like, here, kitty, kitty, or something like that. I can remember that meeting. That didn't go over well either. So uh, you got to be careful when you say things like that. Uh, it's the excitement of passing. It's the enthusiasm. But remember, your competition, they're going to take it as a shot at you. Hey, Jeff, we mentioned earlier in the show that the 78 car, Martin Truex, has won 11 stages so far this year. Is that enough for you or you want to see more? You want to see him closing the deal? <laughs> well, listen, they have been unbelievably fast. And, and, and uh, you know, we talked about how important stage wins are going to be. When, when the stage, when the playoffs get set, we're going to see the advantage that Martin Truex and his team uh, have built for themselves. And that's what this stage racing is about. It's about rewarding the teams that do the best. And they have done it by far the best. It's not even close second who's done it the best. Uh, the, the one thing that concerns me is that they haven't, won the races that they've been in position that things have come up uh, had issues uh, they're going to have to find a way late especially later in the playoffs to to fix that now these are good problems to have and and Dale knows uh, knows this very well when you're running this well small things show up when you're running 15th the problems that they're having finishing races you don't even notice them but when you're winning uh, stages when you're leading laps and you can't finish it off the small things are huge and these are the things they're gonna have to fix I think they can fix them I think they have the talent the will and the in the uh, in the investment to fix them but they're gonna have to fix them yeah, and we saw this a couple of years ago with Kevin Harvick running second a lot and, and not being able to close things out. We wondered how he would perform in the playoffs. Would this hurt them? And I think right now, though, this team has set themselves up very well because they got a couple of wins early, so they're gathering these playoff points, which could benefit them if something should happen in the playoffs to move them on into the next round. So a uh, lot to be said there. Uh, you can't disagree with what Jeff was just pointing out. They've got to finish and win more races when they get to that playoff time. Ten more races until the playoffs. Yeah. It's going to be interesting and we're just five days away from our coverage of the nascar cup series here on nbc and nbcsn and speaking of the number five that's how many drivers have won the daytona 500 and coke 0400 in the same season fireball roberts kale yarborough leroy yarborough bobby allison and jimmy johnson now this year's daytona 500 champ kurt bush hopes to add his name to that list 
And as we get closer to Daytona, a reminder that this Thursday is our NASCAR throwback special where we'll relive the 2004 Daytona 501 by Dale Jr. Use the hashtag NASCAR throwback to join in on the fun. It took him 17 tries, but he is now the winner here in Sonoma, California. Get a bank, Kevin. Warren, how was the job? About time everything went okay for Guys, great freaking job. Awesome job. This has worked the way, you know, to win yesterday, coming back to the K&N series and come back here today. I guess we'll have to do that again because it worked out pretty good. Sunday's winner, Kevin Harvick, tweeted this aboard the plane while heading home. Trophy from Sonoma is a great beer holder. <laughs> what a weekend. It certainly was a great weekend for Kevin Harvick and the Stuart Haas number four team. Crew Chief Rodney Childers' four-stop strategy helped Harvick build a huge lead in the final stage as he coasted to his first win of the season. Congratulations to all of the crew members. Hey, tonight, don't miss Xfinity Series driver Ben Kennedy compete on American Ninja Warrior from Daytona International Speedway at 8 Eastern, 7 Central on NBC. Hey, DJ, Ben's great-grandfather, Bill Francenia, built that place. So Kennedy might have some home field advantage, you might want to say. I think any kind of advantage you get in this, because this is such a, a competition of endurance and strength. Uh, great athleticism that they show, but uh, great to see Ben trying his hand at this. You remember a little while ago, some of the IndyCar drivers tried it. Elio Castro-Neves and Joseph Newgarden, they found out just how hard it really is. Good luck, Ben. Go for it. We'll be watching. Back to wrap things up and discuss the one driver who might have missed out on his best shot at the playoffs when we come back. Tomorrow on NASCAR America, check out the sights and sounds of Sunday's race with Scan All Sonoma. Plus, we'll talk with points leader Kyle Larson on how he hopes to look past his disappointing performance at Sonoma and get to Victory Lane in Daytona this weekend. Also, we'll be joined by Xfinity up-and-comers Matt Tift and Brennan Poole, part of NASCAR Salutes. All right, we're almost out of time, but Max Pappas, first of all, I want to ask you about A.J. Armendinger running strong in Sonoma early on in the race, ended up finishing 35th. Was this the one that got away, the one that could have got him into the playoffs? Uh, definitely, you know, I definitely think that he lost a great opportunity and it's never really good to show up uh, at a track uh, uh, kind of feeling that you have to do it. That's your only chance. And I feel that uh, you could see that w the way he drove, uh, very aggressive. Uh, you know, uh, remember, you know, Martin Truex passing him when he saved some of his tire. Uh, it's never really that good to kind of feel that you have to do it. And uh, <coughs> I think for the overall health for the, of the team, uh, kind of like, you know, relaxing a little bit. You know, they're really good on ovals as well. You know, it's not just road courses. And uh, I think it would be a little bit better for everyone. Well, I think the pressure is going to get mounted now, Watkins Glen, because, you know, we've seen with this team their best chance, unless uh, Daytona, you know, they can make something happen at Daytona for sure. But, uh, you know, they're going to need something to happen on one of these road courses. Of course, now only one of them is left. So there'll be a lot of pressure, and I think A.J. will feel that going to Watkins Glen. And you're right. He needs to take his breath and say, hey, I can do what I can do, and that's all I can do, and don't try to do anymore. Yeah, pressure is an amazing thing. You know, when you focus in that these are the opportunities that you're going to have, especially as a race driver, there are only certain opportunities you have. 
as Jeff just pointed out, Daytona is an opportunity. AJ runs extremely well at Daytona, so he's going to feel some pressure here. But you could really see in his performance yesterday, as Max was pointing out, that he was trying to make more happen than what this race car was actually capable of at that time and tried to maybe make it too soon. But that's what pressure does to you as you're sitting in there as a, com as a competitor wanting the very best to happen, and it's just not there at that point in time. He's a gifted driver. We know yep. that in, in, in many different disciplines. Was that a low percentage move, uh, unforced error? Yeah, I think that just not, not paying attention to the situation and letting the race play out more. They felt like they'd kind of got, the, got to the point that they weren't on the strategy they needed to be on. Up and running for a new week with NASCAR America, heading to Daytona for NBC's portion of the NASCAR season this week. That'll do it for today's show. Don't forget, tomorrow we have Scan All Sonoma. Until then, check out NBCSports.com slash NASCAR for all you need. We're back tomorrow at 5.30 Eastern. See you then. Treat Dad to the good stuff at Nordstrom Rack and save big. Father's Day is Sunday, June 16th, and Nordstrom Rack's got gifts Dad will love up to 60% off. Shirts, activewear, watches, cologne, denim, and more. Find amazing deals on Tommy Bahama, Cole Haan, Original Penguin, and Vince. Great brands, great prices. So get to your Nordstrom Rack store now and make Dad's Day with gifts up to 60% off.